Well, as you know, throughout the summer, we've had uh, all, all the pastors up here talking about various aspects of uh, discipleship. It's a theme for this year. And, and the pattern for discipleship, of course, was set down by our Lord himself. And we saw the Apostle Paul describe the essence of that pattern prescribed by the Lord in 2 Timothy 2.2, where, where we pass along truths in our Christian faith to others. And when we came to Jesus in faith, someone, someone taught us truth from his word, which in turn we are indeed privileged to share with others as we, as we grow and grew in the knowledge and the application of that word. And that's the way discipleship is to work, not just here, but all over the world. Whatever the culture, whatever the circumstances, the pattern basically remains the same. Uh, this morning, I wanted to focus on a quality that I think is really important for each of us to exhibit in our lives as disciples of Christ, and that quality is, quality is steadfastness, steadfastness. And I, I think all of us would, would hope to live out our calling in Christ effectively and fruitfully, consistently, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what comes our way in life. And to do that, well, I think in large part, depends upon the steadfastness associated with our walk in the Lord. We're dependent on that steadfastness associated in so many different ways. Now, I, I think we all get the drift of what steadfastness means, um, basically, uh, but I want to define it for you formally. It's to be fixed in direction, that is, steadily directed, firm in our purpose, our resolution, in our faith, in our adherence, unwavering. So we, we connect that definition to our faith, our trust in Christ. We're not talking here about just gritting our teeth and, 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 and just trying hard. We're talking about moving along in life under the Lord's guidance and, and drawing upon the empowering grace furnished by the Holy Spirit. But even so, I know there are going to be times over the course of our lives when it is going to be difficult to remain steadfast, especially in the face of strong opposition or when we go through a period of, of discouragement in our lives or perhaps have feelings of failure. You know, on a personal level, it's easy for me to somewhat picture my life as the flow of a river. Uh, with this many twists and turns, its ups and downs, uh, yes, and even its dangerous stretches. Uh, most of you are aware of the fact that uh, Lori and I lived in, in McCall, Idaho for about 12 years. And for most of that time, we would travel down to Boise every four to five weeks. And it was a trip that we used to load up on groceries and other supplies that were A, either too expensive in McCall or not available because it was a small tourist town in central Idaho. The journey was about 100 miles to Boise, Highway 55. But it was a beautiful drive. We never minded it. In fact, it was a fun trip for the kids because it usually meant they would get a happy meal at McDonald's. 
See, because uh, McCall didn't have any franchises, no, no fast foods. Plus, in the winter, it meant that we could get out of the snow for a day. Now, uh, for a good portion of that drive, Highway 55 runs alongside the Payette River. It's a river that flows out of Payette Lake, which borders McCall. And that river starts out rather small in volume, but it picks up steam on its uh, southward flow uh, because there's a, just a ton of these mountain creeks that are draining into the river along its course. And so about halfway to Boise, the Payette River at certain points turns violent. It becomes this raging piece of water with some great stretches of whitewater rapids. And, and these rapids have, have become a, a magnet for these adventurous rafters and kayakers, you know, looking for a thrill. <laughs> ESPN actually came out and covered a number of the competitions that took place there in some of the roughest parts of that river. Now, if you're going to float down the Payette River, you better have a steady hand on the helm. Uh, whether you're using a kayak or a raft, you better have a knowledge of what you're going to encounter or at least a knowledgeable guide at the helm. Otherwise, there's a very good chance that you're gonna be bounced into some churning water and turn every way but loose. Now truly, those rapids were hazardous to people's health, even under the best of conditions. Now, I don't know about you, but I find the course of my life somewhat analogous to the flow of that river. I mean, sometimes the waters of my life are very placid, they're wide, they're smooth. And then all of a sudden I'm caught up in this stretch of churning, frenzied waters, you know, where it's all I can do to stay upright in the, the chaos that's going around me. And I think that's life in this fallen world in which we live to a large extent. And throughout our journey in this life, we need steadfastness in our lives whether the waters seem somewhat smooth, which we should be guarding against lackness in those situations, or whether we encounter a particularly rough stretch of water that puts a spiritual strain on us. You know, the Apostle Paul had a good friend named Timothy. Timothy was a good man. Timothy was a faithful Christian but Paul feels like it's very important to exhort him with a challenge to be steadfast or at least continue in that steadfastness because the waters around him may well be anything uh, but smooth. And so if you have your Bibles, you might turn to 2 Timothy. We're in chapter 4 this morning, looking at verses 5 and 6, where the apostle Paul tells Timothy, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Now, looking at this text, let's uh, remember a couple of things in terms of putting it in the proper context. Um, I want to summarize what Paul just told Timothy this way, that we need to be steadfast in our Christian walk. We need to be ready to fill the gap or step gap or step in where we might be needed. And as we look at the relationship between Timothy and Paul, we all know this is a classic discipleship relationship. 
You have an older, more mature believer, Paul, spending time with this younger man, Timothy, uh, whom he led to the Lord, a young man who worked alongside of Paul in ministry, as Paul taught him God's truth. And Paul thought a great deal of Timothy. He had a genuine affection for his young friend because he knew Timothy's heart. And that heart was in the right place. And we see that because if you remember the first time Paul was arrested, he wrote a letter to the Philippian church. And, and since Paul was not free to go to visit them, he was hoping to send Timothy in his place. And the reason that he wanted to send Timothy is this. He said, because I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests. <laughs> Which is kind of a sad commentary on, on some people in ministry, isn't it? Although the same thing goes on today. But Paul goes on to say, but you know of his proven worth, that is Timothy's, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. So, so Timothy held a special place in Paul's heart. And that's why he felt this urgency to get this letter off to him. Now, the other reason that it was urgent to get this to him, because bear in mind that these are the last words we have in Scripture from the Apostle Paul. At this time he wrote this letter, he is in Rome, sitting in a dungeon, waiting to be executed by the tyrannical rule of the Roman Emperor Nero. And Paul's crime? What was Paul's crime? Well, it was preaching Christ. It was presenting the good news of Jesus. It was living faithfully his life in a God-honoring way. And so knowing that he's not going to be here much longer. And you know, you think back, the, the crime that, that Paul had uh, the Nero head against uh, uh, Paul here is the very same kind of steadfastness that he's now going to say, Timothy, you need to be steadfast. You need to follow me in this. And he knows he's, he's going to put in part some final advice here because he's not going to be around, around much longer. And so it's a challenge. It's a challenge to Timothy to be steadfast no matter how crazy the world gets. Uh, look, at, uh, look at verse 5 as we delve into this a little bit. He says, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So Paul's charge here to Timothy consists of these four short commands and it's predicated on the white water situation that may come Timothy's way from the surrounding culture. Uh, look up at uh, verses three and four of this same chapter. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away from their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. Hey, that sounds like where we're living. Sounds like our situation. If it seems like you and I are living in some really challenging time, it's because we are. We're living in a culture that is indeed suffering from spiritual and, and moral breakdown on so many fronts. 
There's so much confusion and, and, and conflict around uh, these days that it, it does feel like we're being bounced around and hit all sides by these, these swirling waters of a, of a violent, godless culture. It's a situation that, that clearly affects every single one of us uh, in our families, uh, in our church, at our workplace. What is true and what is not? What is right and what is wrong? What's important and what is not? You see, people all around us are floundering with these kinds of questions. Plus, in the middle of it all, there's a growing hostility toward the Christian faith. The hostility that has become more blatant, more overt, and more widespread than ever before within our culture. I know that it's a slope that we've been sliding down for decades, but now, but now I think we're seeing the foul fruit of that slide coming into full harvest. So, so there is a definite need for you and for me to be steadfast in Christ. Because everything Paul warns Timothy about, we are seeing firsthand. To be steadfast means that we don't get swept away in all the craziness that's surrounding us. That we're able to help others as well navigate the rapids that they find themselves in so they're not tossed out, so they're not put in harm's way. And, and so Paul says, but you, Timothy, and you can just insert your name there for Timothy at this point, you are to be different and are to stand out as such. And so Paul issues these four short commands that tells us exactly how to do that in this kind of environment. And, and the first thing he says is that we are to be sober, sober in all things. Sober is a word that means clear-minded. It means to have clarity of mind. And in the New Testament, this particular word is, is used only figuratively in the sense of, of being free, uh, free from every form of, of mental and spiritual drunkenness, if you will. It, it's a word that came to mean, in fact, being well-balanced, being self-controlled. So we're, we're, we're living in a world in which people are deceived, in which people are confused, and largely ignorant of the truth found in God's word and where people fall prey to all kinds of speculations and myths and false teachings. People are very easily swayed, it seems, by the latest fad or the latest sensation. And as a result, they modify their beliefs, modify their behavior to fit their wants perhaps to fit their selfish desires in this case. And so really, you know, in reality, people like that are bouncing along through life in a raft, out of control, in white water, because they're not sure where they're going. They're not sure what's going on. And they're not sure how it's going to end for them. But you, but you, the Apostle Paul says or to remain clear-minded in all things. You're to keep God's truth as your mental and spiritual filter 
Never allowing yourself to be intoxicated by a craving for the sensational or for some flashing novelty that comes along or some trendy heresy. Instead, remain steadfast by employing self-control and clarity of mind in sync with God's word, which will enable you to exercise this, this sound judgment in all matters of life. You know, I'm truly amazed at what we see out there in terms of what Paul is talking about. Uh, you know, through the wonder of the Internet, uh, you can find the wackiest of the wacky when it comes to spiritual pursuits. Uh, people can find whatever they are looking for to have their ears tickled. And, and people telling them exactly perhaps what they want to hear, um, leading them into pure folly in their lives. There are teachers, there are groups, uh, even call themselves churches, teaching far-fetched heresies. Uh, you know, for, I mean, uh, I tuned in one time to uh, this. It was a mainline denomination, mainline denomination service, and I watched, and I was curious because I heard something about this pastor. And he, at the time, he was urging the congregation to soften their understanding of God by imagining him to be their mother instead of their father. And he spent the message, which actually I could not even finish listening to, to tell you the truth, to, to feminize the whole construct of God and came up with this bizarre description that bore zero resemblance to the living God of the Bible. Now, this guy was young and kind of looked the part. You said, eh, okay. But, you know, most of the people attending appeared to be 50 or older. And, and, you know, there's all kinds of examples of this craziness going on. It seems like on a regular basis, we hear about some group of Christians who have figured out the exact time of Jesus' return. They sell everything they've got, gather on a mountaintop, or, or in one case, stuffed themselves into a van and drove around waiting for Jesus to come back. See, these are not sober people, <laughs> And the list goes on. Rejection of God's truth in favor of the bizarre, the novel, the weird, the exciting, or the rejection of God's truth in favor of some ever-shifting worldly philosophy that claims to replace Scripture with some new enlightenment, some, some revolutionary information, it's really rampant out there, so many places. Again, just think of how many people are, are quick to embrace a, a, a godless myth about the origins of life, about the origins of mankind, rather than to learn from God's own revelation about themselves and, and, and about mankind and, and the world as it really is. To be steadfast, we must first, Paul says, be sober, sober in all things. A second command connected to our steadfastness in the Christian life is to endure hardships. Now, in particular, uh, Paul is thinking about those hardships that come our way because of our allegiance to the Lord, 
because there are so many people who don't want to hear the truth about God's word or about themselves or about life and death or about who Jesus is that the world will not hesitate to impose hardships on those Christians who are steadfast and refuse to compromise the truth. Now, now of course, to a certain extent, that's always gone on, certainly. Pressure to conform to worldly standards in in many places around the world results in people being uh, pressured and and persecuted and, and even killed, taken to the point of death, as was the case for the Apostle Paul. But in our current social climate, we as believers need to, I think, brace ourselves because there is no doubt that we can expect the heat to be turned up on us, depending on our specific circumstances. I realize at this point not all of us are going to suffer the same degree of hardship, but, but steadfastness in Christ necessitates this willingness to endure hardship for his namesake, if need be. Now, that mean we go out there looking for hardships. We don't go out provoking uh, needlessly for retaliatory measures taken against us. Uh, we just need to understand as men and women in Christ that part of our commitment to Christ means that we're a lightning rod for his enemies. Uh, Jesus himself, of course, warned us that we should expect to feel some of the rejection that he received. So, so we should not find ourselves complaining or surprised uh, when that hardship arrives. And certainly, we're not to find ourselves compromising our faith, our, our testimony, in order to escape some hardship. The truth of the matter is, however, I, I suspect that not all believers are, are ready for hardship. As the truth of God's word becomes increasingly unpopular around us, uh, there will always be the temptation to seek man's approval and modify certain beliefs, perhaps modify certain behavior, just to make it easier on ourselves. Once knew a, a Christian man in Oregon who continued to work for a realtor, a, a builder down there, this was years ago. The guy was blatantly dishonest. And... Uh, this guy tried to address some of the issues with his employer, but he, but he stopped. He backed down, and he capitulated because he was just so afraid of not having a job. There, there, there are many Christian young men and women who blatantly compromise biblical standards of behavior just to become or perhaps to remain popular among their peers. I've had people tell me in the past and this was mainly in McCall, people would come to me and say, hey, uh, you know, we don't go to your church, but we would like to have you perform the funeral for my aunt or grandmother or whomever it might be. But, but I don't want anything about religion in there. <laughs> you know, I, I really think it's, it's, it's not going to be long before those who preach the full word of God may well be fined or imprisoned or both. As a culture continues to, to move away from God and his truth, I, I'm sure there are going to be Christians whose, whose jobs are threatened. Or their, their, their moral convictions, their convictions as a Christian. We've already seen some very highly publicized opposition to various businesses because their owners were steadfast Christians. 
So steadfastness calls for this, this willingness, Paul says, to endure hardships as they come to us, that are imposed upon us. Third thing he mentions in our call to steadfastness is to be a viable witness for Jesus. Share the good news of Jesus Christ. He tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. The evangelist was one of the five offices that Paul mentions in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. And basically, an evangelist, as such, uh, equipped and encouraged others to share the gospel. Well, you might not be called to be an evangelist in the sense that Timothy was, but all of us certainly are called to be a witness for Christ. We think of 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are to be ambassadors. Ambassadors for Christ, as, as though God were making an appeal through us. Paul well, says, we beg you in behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So in these crazy, turbulent times, people need to hear about the love of God through Christ. They need the good news contained in the gospel. I mean, all around us, people are hurting. People are lost in life. People are confused. People are dying. And, and you rub shoulders with some of those people in your circles. Even during the, the brevity of my lifetime, I've seen a general ignorance of Scripture just accelerate tremendously across this land. Uh, the darkness of man-made uh, mythology and, and fruitless speculation seems to have increasingly taken hold of people's minds. But as the world grows spiritually darker around us, may we have a sense of urgency to be faithful ambassadors of Christ. So, indeed, this, this, this aspect of our steadfastness in Christ is to faithfully bear witness of Him in word, Indeed, to be a light pointing to Jesus in a, in a world that's really enveloped in darkness. You know, I think this is something that you and I should put in a review in our lives periodically and, and, and think about, you know, what ways, what ways is my life a vehicle for sharing Christ? How can I use my giftedness my talents, my vocation to make Christ known to those around me. And, and frankly, there is no one size that fits all. You know, it comes in many forms. For example, you know, one of my favorite professors at Oregon State, when I was down there, was a plant pathologist, a Christian. And he used his research as a platform to mingle with many other scientists in that same field, all of whom would hear his testimony sooner or later, most of whom did not know Christ. The same man also had a very impactful ministry as an instructor in the college classroom, or in the college classroom, because the students all knew he was a believer. And then beyond that, he even encouraged and uplifted the body of Christ by serving as an elder in his home church. 
We had a wonderful lady, McCall, who, who, who shared her faith with students and parents as an elementary school teacher. And she was a very important witness for the Lord uh, for the kids that attended her Sunday school class, many of whom, of course, were not believers yet. And when she retired and her health began to fail, she became a faithful person in praying for the many people in the retirement home that she went to. And she became a consistent witness for the Lord as she befriended the other residents in that home. You know, actually, we have people here at EBC doing that right now. See, so the point is that whatever your work cycle, or circle is, whatever your connection with people is outside the church, there are opportunities to be an ambassador for the Lord if you're going to remain sensitive, at least, to those opportunities when they appear. A believer's vocation in life is, is not just to provide a living, but it's a way to make an eternal impact for the Lord through the relationships that you have there. There's no doubt that, that, that some of you know people who will never go up to church to hear the gospel, never come to hear the truth of God preached, but they just might listen to you and because they have a relationship with you. They know you. Sharing Christ, part of our steadfastness in the Lord. The fourth thing that, that he mentions here is he tells Timothy to fulfill his God-given ministry. Fulfill your God-given ministry. Now, Timothy had a specific ministry, obviously, serving the Lord for the most part in and around the city of Ephesus. In fact, this chapter 4 opens with Paul giving Timothy a specific charge. But the thing I want to point out this morning is just as Timothy's ministry is God-given, so, so is yours. So is yours. And, and sometimes I think people have a difficulty to view their lives as ministry. But you really should realize that God has placed you in a very unique place to serve him. Your life context, family, friends, work, in terms of a niche, he has given that to you. He's carved that out for you. And so steadfastness in that God-given ministry means that you recognize your ministry and that you're faithful, faithful to fulfill it. You know, next week we'll see Paul reflecting on his life of ministry, but we want to be able to join him in saying, hey, I, I was faithful to that which I was given, that which I was entrusted and so the question is really, what does that look like for each one of us? Well, perhaps it, the ministry begins at home. As we heard last week from, from Pastor Tim, you're a husband, are you a wife, are you a father, are you a mother? Hey, there's a built-in ministry in all those relationships. Are you single? Well, there are circles of friends. There are certainly opportunities at church, unique outreach opportunities, oftentimes much more accessible by single individuals than married couples. Again, it's just a matter of seeing where God has placed you 
and realizing that you can serve him wherever that might be. And, and as we move through life, we don't need to get stagnant. Let's not be afraid to expand our view of our ministry, the use of our spiritual gifts, our availability for new areas of service. Let's not rule out stretching ourselves, thinking that God would, would never want to use us in, in a given setting or, or a given situation. You just might be surprised. That's a, really, that's how a lot of people ended up in missions. I know a, a number of people who have become biblical counselors that same way. So, so my point is, let's not be too quick to put limits on how God might use us. Just stay focused on his guidance, his guidance for you. Well, so the challenge before all of us as men and women in Christ is steadfastness, the apostle says, steadfast in our faith, our walk with the Lord. He says that, that steadfastness is going to include staying intellectually sober. It's going to involve enduring hardships that might come our way because of our faith in Christ. It means that we share Christ and his truth whenever we have that opportunity. And it means that we recognize the ministry that God has given us and that we're faithful in fulfilling that in a manner pleasing to him. See, every generation, every generation needs steadfast believers. In fact, they need a whole bunch of steadfast believers that will carry out these commands in life. And there is another important aspect as you think about your steadfastness in Christ, and that is, I think, a willingness to step up and to fill gaps. Perhaps the very gaps the mentors have played in your life as they pass from the scene. Just as Paul could not always remain in the shadow of the Apostle Paul concerning these things, neither can you or I remain in the shadows of other Christians. And, and Paul kind of drives that home here for us in verse 6, where he says uh, that I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. And this is to his close friend, Timothy. And one of the reasons he wants to challenge Timothy in, to be steadfast in the face of all this worldly confusion and opposition that he may experience is that Paul is going to be removed from the scene very, very shortly. Now, as long as Paul was around, you know, he could always be there for Timothy. He could always advise him, could always exhort him. But soon, Paul's not going to be there for Timothy. Timothy's going to have to carry on without the apostles' valuable support. When the older man Paul set sail for the shores of eternity, the younger man, Timothy, needs to step in that gap. And that's, of course, the case for every generation. And it becomes a lot easier, I think, to, to really see that. You know, when we get a feel for what Paul is talking about here, the feel for, for his example, as I said, yeah, Paul knows his time here on earth is very short. 
And it's so short, in fact, that he tells Timothy that he is already being poured out as a drink offering. So certain, so near is Paul's execution that he speaks of it as already having begun. And I think the important thing for us to notice here is how Paul characterizes his earthly life. He uses that term drink offering. In the Old Testament, when an animal was sacrificed, a certain amount of of wine was poured out slowly at the end of that ceremony as part of the offering. So so Paul is revealing his, his heart here as his earthly life draws to a close. Since the drink offering was poured out slowly as the final aspect of that offering to God, it neatly pictures the closing out of Paul's life. His whole life has been presented to God as a living sacrifice, something that he exhorts all of us to do. Romans 12, first two verses, I urge you, brethren, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul's entire life as a believer was dedicated to God. In fact, Paul uses this very same picture in Philippians 2.17 when the prospect of death was a mere possibility. He said, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. So in our steadfastness, We too should be able to draw the same picture when speaking of our lives, I think. In terms of being a living sacrifice, it really doesn't matter so much what you do as it matters who you are becoming in Christ. And by that I mean this, that you could be a carpenter, you can be a a truck driver, you can be a teacher, you can be a business person. There's always a need to present yourselves a living sacrifice before the Lord on a daily basis. Remember, it was Christ who redeemed us with that precious blood on the cross. We're not our own, and thank goodness we're not. We'd be dead in our sins and no hope of life. So whatever we do, we're due to the glory of God, and we should have Christ in the middle of our daily routine, whatever we're about, occasionally. Paul Paul sees his execution here as the last event, the last phase of his offering to God. So even this last event is directly connected to his steadfastness in Christ because that is precisely why he's going to be executed, because he was steadfast. And, And notice here this about Paul's reference to his physical death. He speaks of his death as a departure, a departure. He doesn't say it's the end. He says a departure. That term departure means a loosing, a loosening. And it was used to describe the loosening, for example, of tent cords when tents were taken down because the occupants were moving on. See, one of the necessary mindsets important 
with our steadfastness in Christ is a recognition that we are just pilgrims. We are sojourners on this earth. And there's going to come a time when we too are going to depart. For Paul, his, his earthly bivouac, so to speak, is over. His tent's being struck and he's heading out for another, a better destination in the process. You know, he was torn with this for quite a while. You remember what he told the Philippians? He said, I'm hard-pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that's very much better. But love that. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul was torn. Let God use him while he's here, but he is ready to be with the Lord because he understands what physical death is. That term was also used in connection with loosening the ropes of a ship and tying a ship from its moorings. It's another beautiful picture of Paul's life, how he saw his life. He, his anchor has been pulled in. He's, he's loosened the ropes. It's already begun, and he's about to set sail for another destination. He's going to be on his way to this exquisite harbor of his heavenly home. And, and so the thing we must not forget is that part of our steadfastness in our walk with Christ is keeping a proper view of our inevitable departure in mind, in the forefront, and not become so attached to this world that we're afraid to leave it. It's really a part of being sober in all things when you think about it, understanding life and death from a biblical viewpoint, because the world has conjured up all kinds of myths about physical death. Uh, some say you cease to exist, or you get graded on your goodness to get into heaven, or, or your soul goes to sleep, or you can still talk with those here. I mean, all kinds of stuff goes on. But you know the certainty of what lies beyond death. That's a genuine cause of fear in so many people's lives. Those of us who know Christ as Lord and Savior, those who have placed our, our faith, our trust in Him, and in what He says about life and death and its implications, we can come to the point of anxiously anticipating our departure from this earth, just as Paul did. And again, the reason that we can do that is because of our understanding of death is not based upon the speculation of man. It's not based upon mythology of mankind, but upon the solid foundation of God's word and what it says about that. So you see, even the way we think about our physical death factors in to our steadfastness in Christ. Well, you know, in a short space there, Paul has issued quite a challenge to Timothy, a call for steadfastness under chaotic, unpredictable times, where Timothy's life, like Paul's, might be at stake at some point. But that's not just a challenge. It's not just a call for, for Timothy. It's a, it's a challenge for all of us. God has placed you and me at this point in history and though we may find our circumstances turbulent at times, we have the Lord to walk through them with. Be steadfast, the Apostle Paul says, in your Christian walk. 
Be ready to fill the gap. Stay sober. Endure hardships if need be. Be ready and willing to introduce others to Christ. Fulfill that God-given ministry you have. Equip yourself for service to the Lord and others, ready and willing to, to fill the void left by the departure of others. In short, present yourself, your life, your career, as part of that living sacrifice to the Lord. Keep that proper Christian perspective on death, knowing that you're a pilgrim, you're a sojourner, you're here but for a little while, you're destined to live with Christ forever. See, these all are manifestations of steadfastness. And our steadfastness in Christ will not be in vain. He will use you, he will use me for his glory. And our lives will be lived effectively and fruitfully and consistently regardless of our circumstances. Whether we find ourselves in placid water or we get caught up in the turbulence of white water somehow in our lives. Either way, either way, to God be the glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to be a part of your family. Lord, we thank you for this call to steadfastness. I think many of us at times are confused ourselves how fast things are transpiring before our very eyes. And yet, Lord, we know that you remain the same and that you are in control and you will use us. Give us this very kind of steadfastness day in and day out that the Apostle Paul calls his faithful and beloved friend Timothy to. In addition, calls us to. And we thank you for that privilege, Lord. May we be excited about it. And may we be fruitful under your guidance and empowerment. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.